We're not experts, and the opinions expressed are solely our own. We'll do our best to be factual and correct any errors that might occur at a later date. The main point of this show is taking the fork in the road towards comedy whenever possible. There will be many forks in the road. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Drinking and Talking Animals, I'm Bob. I'm still Mark. (laughs) (laughs) I'm gagging a little George. (laughs) Gagging little George. (laughs) Little gagging George. Yeah, our favorite skipping along. Stillborn Mark. (laughs) Well, still Mark. Yeah, there we go. Uh, I think. The best thing we could do today is kick us right into the beer and we'll go to the drinking game because yeah. uh, we're already into the beers a little bit yeah, today. We are. Today we are going with Black Raven Brewing Company, Coco Jones Coconut Porter. ABV at six or five point six percent, IBUs of thirty-two. The hops are Magnum, Palisade, and the malts are two row barley, crystal, brown, and chocolate. And it's infused with freshly toasted coconut. Mmm, coconutty. Mmm, mm. mm, it tastes so coconutty. <laughs> I, I've had this beer so many times. It's it's off the beaten path. Uh, about the only thing that I enjoy equally to this is the uh, that hazelnut porter that Stone does. That's and good. I would tell you that Stone, I want to like them more than I do. Yeah. Uh, no. But that hazelnut beer is delicious. I've had that one a bunch. Uh, uh, did you just say no to St- Isn't Stone from your homeland, San but Diego? They've not. They've. Um, Aren't they the gods more, down there? In more recent. No, not anymore. The motherland? They've actually screwed the pooch a couple times. They sued one of the big companies on a lawsuit. Uh, for use of a name and then Keystone. Yeah, and then yeah, because Keystone changed their uh, label to say Stones. Cause yes. it was like buy a box of Stones or whatever, you know. Or, and you then, don't have the Stones to drink these Stones. They in turn were sued by. <laughs> Let's a, throw some Stones <laughs> while they drink Stones. They were in turn sued by a much smaller brewing company for doing the same damn thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and they, I don't know. I've just their beers used to be a lot better. Than what they are now. Um, I'm not real sure. Yeah, the snack today is also funky, everybody. Oh, uh, yeah, we're this doing... Is, this is a weird pairing today. <laughs> yeah, it is. But you know what? Why not? Yeah, this is gonna this is gonna be all over the place. You got a coconut porter going with like an everything flavored chip. Tim's yeah. Cascade Sasquatch yeah. Surprise. Max's... Some of my favorite chips. Yes. Uh, in the Tim Cascade lineup. And I like them because they're not super salty. What is, what does the bag describe the flavor as? Not that I want to force you to to reach and bend and grab, but I, I I would like to hear what they say about it. Extra extra thick and crunchy, gluten free. Hey, how about you finish what's in your mouth before you start nah. speaking, please? <laughs> Come on. No, like this is an eat and talk show today, Max. There is nothing on the bag. It says. That describes the flavor. Huh. Darn it. It's That's a, why it's the Sasquatch it's surprise. A Sasqu- yeah. And normally when you think of a Sasquatch surprise, you think of a delicious uh, Cascade-style chip. Or a big rock through your windshield. Yeah. Exactly. Messing with Squatch. <laughs> uh, let's see. Harry going home with the Hendersons. Yeah. Uh, might as well do the drinking game. So I'm going to start... I'll probably hit a lot of bells today. I think. Nice. That was a lot of whacking of the stick. Friend Frog Stick. George is back, everybody. <laughs> yeah, he'll he'll whack everything. Yeah, on the stick. we got George on stick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that is his main instrument. Uh, but yeah, anyway, hear a bell, hear a Friend Frog, take a drink. 
Uh, if anybody's doing this, who knows? You know, we might just totally abandon this thing at some point, whatever. Uh, it it seems like it takes up time, and people probably aren't doing it. Who cares? But uh, anyway, uh, Coconut Jones today, Coco Jones, is because we're going to talk about the coconut crab. And before we get into the amazing coconut crab, we'll do the, some normal stuff again. Drinking and talking animals on Instagram and Facebook. DNT Animals on Twitter and DNT Animals at gmail.com if you want to send us an old school email. Uh, or even a new school one. Yeah, send us a new school email. We like those too. Uh, let's see. I'm guessing we have no corrections. Correct. Nice. How about a commercial? Yeah. I love it. Let's take one now. Are you like so many others out there? Aimlessly bouncing between Netflix, Prime, Hulu, HBO Max, Disney Plus, in search of something decent to watch? Unsure if you should still be spending top dollar at the movie theater. And asking yourself, just what in the heck is a 4K Ultra Remastered Blu-ray? Well, fret not, because Excuse the Intermission is here to guide you through the ever-changing cinematic landscape. On our podcast, we promise to keep you in the know on everything from the latest movie news and releases to the resurgent cult classics that are still influencing audiences decades later. Tune in each week on the chatternetwork.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. Hey, you know what? We like those guys. Yeah. That show sounds awesome. Yeah, fret not. Fret not. <laughs> <laughs> is that is I that not fretting. a trio on that podcast? That is a trio. Yeah, I didn't hear him. Yeah, a terrific trio a starring terrific Max. Trio. Max. Max is a much larger contributor to that show. I talk a lot more on that one. Yeah, he does. Moron. Hey, oh, yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> uh, and great. if. My ability to use a calendar is correct. Happy Earth Day, everybody. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. This one comes out exactly on Earth Day. George, I know. I can see the excitement in your face. Ooh. It's your favorite <laughs> holiday, Earth Planet Day. Tree. Yeah. Love it. Or cut one down, whatever suits you. And also, everybody, uh, and Mark and Max had the pleasure of meeting my coworker Laura last night at the... And this goes way back in time because we're way ahead of everyone else, but... This was... Yeah, we were actually on March 25th. Yeah, yeah, we were actually at uh, the Communities for a Healthy Bay event last night that supported the Forage Fishes and their beer. foundation and beer for the bay, beer off for day, the bay beer and, and off wine. day, right? Uh, and I say that to say that uh, April 26th is Administrative Professionals Day, and Laura makes my life much easier sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> so, shout out to Laura there. Uh, Laura's a fun gal. Uh, you, you'll you'll see her around more often, I think. Uh, she's got a new man, and he has the same name as my dad. It's Tony. Yeah. So it's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, like. Not your dad in disguise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, that's what that I said. That would be awkward. Yeah. I mean, he would have had to have me when he was like nine, though. <laughs> I mean, we actually look a little bit alike, uh, if you notice that. You met him last night. Uh, we kind of could be brothers. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. Uh, so, let's see. Uh, we have a t- absolute ton of fun words to talk about today with the coconut crab. Uh, we're going to start it all off with the class, because that is... Malakastraka, and that comes from the ancient Greeks' words malakos and ostracon. Talk malikos. about a Harry Potter spell. Yeah, exactly. Malakatrakas. <laughs> Malakachocolatey treats. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so malakos means soft, and ostracon means shell. It's the largest of the six classes of crustaceans and contains around 40,000 living species divided into 16 orders. Correct. There is a lot of diversity in the class as a whole, as it includes crabs, lobsters, crayfish, shrimp, krill, prawns, woodlice, amphipods, mantis shrimp, and just for fun, the tongue-eating lice. (laughs) Which, we've been talking about doing that, and maybe we will at some point. That's a really weird one. Uh, The order is decapoda, and that literally means ten-footed. Uh, most of the animals in this order are scavengers, and nearly half of the estimated 15,000 species are crabs. To get more specific, their suborder is called Pleosomata, and I'm not going to define that one, <laughs> and you. an infraorder called Anamura. Anamura comes from an old classification system 
by which decapods were divided into Macrura, that's the long-tailed, Brachyura, the short-tailed, and Anomura, the differently-tailed. And if you didn't already figure it out, Ura is Latin for tail. No. It is. Wow. <laughs> I know. That, that one actually that defines itself, right? And you can kind of figure out what the other words mean once you know Ura means tail. Yeah. Yeah, it helps a lot. Yeah, you, I'm a tail, you're a tail. And that last one is important, uh, Anomura, because... Uh, it contains the hermit crabs, porcelain crabs, and the B-252's favorite, the squat lobster. Uh, not squat lobster. <laughs> squat lobster. Rock lobster. Squat lobster. No. <laughs> I'll say it every time. And I'm going to tell everyone straight up, we will definitely talk about squat lobsters someday because yeah, they are weird. the nudie branks of lobsters. They look like if a jumping spider had sex with a crab. If that was possible in any way, <laughs> and you get these weird, like, hairy, pink, short, weird-tailed lobsters, they're funky as hell. Like, a quick Google image search of squat lobster was life-changing to me. Uh, we will definitely, I added it to the short list already, because <laughs> I, I love these. That short list keeps getting longer it and longer. longer. Because <laughs> it's weird. I run into yeah. so many side roads. Oh, that, I, yeah, uh, no, I, I can't help myself but Google, you know. They look a little like the coconut crab. Yeah. And Googling, yeah. Googling squat lobster went a lot better than anaconda penis. I'll tell yeah. you that. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Another fun word to say is the family name is, oh, God, I don't like this one, Conobitidae, uh, or it's actually Cenobitidae, uh, and it's actually the root word for Cenobite. Yep. And uh, that, if you don't know, <laughs> is basically like somebody that lives in a monastery, a monk. It refers to a monk. Uh, the Latin word coenobion or cinnabion. It almost sounds like cinnabon. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. is that related to cinnabon? Uh, that was the Latin word for monastery. And uh, I'm guessing that it's just because, you know, these guys kind of look like they, all hermit crabs kind of look like they well, wear a hermits. hood or have a shell, right? They're and hermits. hermit comes exactly where you think it does. It comes from the... A, a hermit's ability to just be kind of like out on your own. Mm -hmm. They are solitary by nature, so uh, you don't really find groups of coconut crabs unless they're breeding, <laughs> as you would expect. And it's also because they can be cannibalistic and they're known to eat each other, so yeah, uh, you don't yeah. want to group yeah. them up too often. <laughs> no. Uh, let's see. Um, so that family contains all of the terrestrial hermit crabs. There are two genus and 17 species under Cenobita. Uh, those are the little hermit crabs, and because our coconut crab is special, they got their own genus, and that is Burgus. Mm -hmm. uh, there is only one species of coconut crab, and it is the Burgus latro. Here's a fun story. Western scientists have known about these guys since the voyages of Francis Drake around 1580, and a man I believe George is familiar with, William Dampier, around 1688. They're both pirates. Yeah, that guy circumnavigated the globe three times. Uh -huh. So he's a pretty, he wrote three books about his circumnavigations as well, as a matter of his fact. First, first English what? person to... Um, his circumcision. Circumnavigation. He circumcisioned the <laughs> he globe. He circumnavigated the globe, right. First English cat to go around Australia. Yeah. He didn't go around it, went around near it. Right. Um, at, at the time when they didn't know it was an island or not. Huh. That is, I know he did a lot of stuff around Australia because he uh, uh, named uh, several animals from Australia too. Yeah, right? he didn't. He didn't do a lot of naming, but he did a lot of uh, uh, describing in a in a way like recorded in a journal, like saw a funny looking thing and right and said he saw it basically. I have Georgia like, in my not journal. A, not a not a technical. It's a funny looking thing. Right. Not a technical description, thing. but but just uh yeah. incidental, this is what we saw. Right. <clears throat> and uh based on an account from George Eberhard Rumpheus, who had taken to calling them cancer cruminatus, uh good old Linnaeus came along in seventeen sixty seven and named them Cancer Latro. <clears throat> we know cancer is uh represented by a crab in the yeah. zodiac, so that's easy. It's also the Latin word for crab. The Greek word is carcinos, and that's where the words carcinoma and carcinogen come from. 
So also kind of related to cancer. Uh, Cruminatus is a Latin word that means bag-shaped. So that's not very nice no. uh, for that guy. Uh, latro is Latin for robber, and that's why sometimes these guys are called robber crabs or palm thieves. Well, there's a little more to it than that. There is. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, that's how they became known as robber crabs, because latros literally means robber. And that's where they, uh, Linnaeus made the biggest change. And finally, taking a step back, uh, the genus Burgus was erected in 1816 by William Elford Leach and thus replaced cancer as the genus. Erected. And really quickly on this guy, because it's actually weird, he was an English zoologist and marine biologist that lived from 1791 to 1836. He was born at Hogate, Plymouth. <laughs> that was funny, so I threw it in there. Uh, quick aside, Plymouth used to have a bunch of gates with drawbridges, and Hogate was the last one to be torn down in 1863. Mr. T.W. Fox owned it, and despite an effort to preserve it, because it was the last remaining drawbridge gate in Plymouth. Drawbridge? Drawbridge gate in Plymouth. Uh, this dude went ahead and sold it for materials to be repurposed for 44 pounds. So he's like, screw your gate. I'm selling it for 44 pounds. Didn't they used to make cars, too? Uh, Hogate? No, Plymouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they did. Uh, let's see. So this guy, uh, long story short, going back to William Leach, he took a real shine to etymology as an assistant librarian in the natural history department of the British Museum. He was responsible for separating centipedes from millipedes, and in his day, he was the world's leading expert on crustacea, as it was referred to then. He was elected a fellow of the Royal Society at age 25. Dang, that's, that's actually, that's young. Yeah, he had a nervous breakdown in 1821 and couldn't continue his work. So why is Bob wasting all of our time with this BS, BS you ask? Well, it's I because of the way he named things, a.k.a. his nomenclature. He named things in a personal way and named 19 species and one genus after his employee and friend, John Cranch. Cranch was known as Jack to his friends and died during an expedition to find the source of the River Congo in 1816. He named nine genre after an unknown woman named Carolyn, using anagrams of that name and the Latinized form Carolina. Examples are Cirolana, Conalera, and Rocanella. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that in also includes an isopod known as the Cirolana Cronchi, named after both of those people. Huh. So I just wasted about as much of your time as I did my own time trying to figure out where the word Burgess comes from, and the only man who knows why took it to his grave <laughs> and never told a soul why he named these guys Burgess Latro. So we got that. I mean, Latro came from Linnaeus. Maybe but there was a guy... Named Gus that was cold. It was Burr something. Gus. Yeah, yeah Burr Gus, right. I mean, that's as uh, plausible as anything else. But uh, where would we find them, Mark? Uh, they're basically in any of the tropical waters of the southern of the Pacific and yeah. Indian Ocean. Uh, Central Pacific Ocean and Indian Ocean. Yeah. yeah. That's what I read as well. Uh, basically a very well, similar... tropical because that's pretty much central. Well, almost the exact yeah. same distribution as the coconut palm. If you have Correct. coconut palms, you'll usually find coconut crabs uh, because they do eat coconuts. Yeah. I mean... Upon in, occasion. Right. It's not a big thing. It's not a big thing. Uh, let's see. Coconut crabs are the largest terrestrial arthropod and invertebrate in the world. Uh, they can have a total body length of about 16 inches, weigh up to 9 pounds, and a leg span of over 3 feet from tip to tip. Uh, males are generally larger than females. Did you say tip to tip? No, tip oh, to okay, tip. Okay. Most just, photo examples close. were considerably smaller than that. But. Yeah. I mean, Max has one of the most popular ones you can find of one hanging onto a garbage can because they are scavengers, as we mentioned. Yep. And you can kind of coolly see the carapace there, which is like the plate behind the main part of their head. Mm -hmm. And that's actually what they use for mm -hmm. legal limits. We'll talk about yeah. that in threats. Uh, their bodies are divided in the same way that all decapods are. The front section, or cephalothorax, has ten legs and an abdomen. The frontmost pair of legs have large claws, which are also called chelae, and the left is larger than the right. 
the next two pairs, as you'd find them in all hermit crabs, are large, powerful walking legs with pointed tips that allow them to climb. The next pair has little tiny claws on the ends, almost like tweezers, and this is what they use to keep their shell on as a juvenile, and it just becomes another pair of walking legs for our coconut crabs as their carap- or their tail hardens in the end of the day. They can straighten their hat with those. Right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, and finally, the last pair is used by females to tend eggs and by the males during mating. And they usually stow that last pair of legs in their carapace in the same cavity that contains their breathing organs. Yep. Uh, color varies by location, and it can be orangish red to purplish blue. Blue is the predominant color, but they can also be totally red just to be confusing. <laughs> Especially uh, when they're cooked. Right. Uh, the young use shells, including that of an actual coconut, when they outgrow all of the actual shells they can find for protection while they grow. Unlike other hermit crabs, they no longer need to protect their abdomens as adults because they harden, and this process uses chitin and chalk. Uh, Chalk you know, but chitin is an amide derivative of glucose. It's the second most abundant polysaccharide in nature, right behind good old cellulose. This is what forms the cell walls and fungi and the exoskeletons of arthropods and the beaks of cephalopods and many other things. Uh, commercially, we extract, extract chitin from shellfish, and it has medical and industrial applications. Uh, it's functionally comparable to keratin, the stuff in our hair and nails, and it's really cool stuff if you want to look into it. There's a lot that goes into what we use chitin for and why we even have it as a product. Yep. And I believe there was some crazy estimate that they think that, you know, uh, about a billion tons of chitin is produced on an annual basis by shellfish and whatnot so it's basically the building block that makes uh you know these things hardened <laughs> and it's weird because you know the whole thing goes back to them being called a uh, soft shell so but and that is true when they molt and yeah. we'll, we'll talk a lot about yeah, that we'll, i'm sure yeah. during mating uh, yeah, a little bit as you do uh let's see So that hardening is also the adaptation that allows them to reach the large size they do as they don't need to haul the trailer around with them on their backs. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, or to store any junk in there, you know, like the junk in the trunk. If you look at a picture of a regular hermit crab versus one of these guys, these guys are just basically like giant hermit crabs. They do have the funky different tail, and Mm -hmm. that would normally be what holds a shell on the back. But after they hard, they still do tend to, like, tuck them under themselves as they move around. And uh, they molt to grow. And if you remember that whole uh, Malacostraca thing from the beginning, that's when they have their soft shells. It's also when they're the most vulnerable, so they dig a burrow about three foot deep. And they hide out there for four to 16 weeks, depending on the size, waiting for their new shell to harden. And uh, they also lose mobility during that time, so hiding is a good call. And you'll never find a coconut crab shed because they eat it in the burrow before they come back out. I noted that. Uh, They breathe with a bronchiostegial lung. It's kind of like the in-between of gills and lungs. It has a tissue similar to gills, but it's adapted to breathe air, uh, well, to obtain oxygen from actual air instead of water. Uh, But it does need to remain moist, which is like a really weird part about, yeah, those lungs, right? Moist. Moist. Yeah, you beat me by a moment. Yeah, I'll beat you moist. (laughs) Uh, If you remember that last set of tiny legs that they tuck inside here, uh, they use those to clean their lungs and also moisten them with water. And this is accomplished by stroking their wet legs over the spongy tissue nearby. Isn't which, that their moist man, legs? That is hot. Yeah, don't, don't they also have kind of a crappy set of uh, rudimentary gills? They uh, do. Yeah, like, they do. Like they they work somewhat in water, but yeah, um, well, they not not enough. Right. They work the, initially when they um, we'll get into a little bit more, but when they um, after they leave their one of their larval forms. And then once they get onto the land, it just, they're there, but they don't function anymore. Yeah, the whole apparatus has to be wet to work. That's the weird part of it all. Uh, they have a great sense of smell, but it comes from specialized organs on their antennae called astatasks. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I actually wrote it astatasks. Give my ass a task, and <laughs> yeah. it's not going to do anything. Yeah, I'll give your ass a task. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, crabs that live in water have these to smell underwater, as you do. But because our crabs live on land, theirs are shorter and more blunt. They flick these antennae to detect the scents of rotting meat, bananas, and even other coconut crabs, as they're known to be cannibalistic. And, and we'll, we'll find out why yeah. they scavenge other coconut crabs when we talk about actual, like, coconut behavior. Yeah, and it's also done for breeding purposes, too. Right. Uh, and uh, one last thing on that, the olfactory system in their brain is well-developed compared to other regions, and they don't have much of a brain to speak of anyway. So, Well, it takes up, the actually, the olfactory takes up 40% of their brain. Mm. I mean, that was one of the things I found. And they, their um, olfactory is very similar to what you're going to find in insects. Right. And that's basically, it's another, um, what you would call divergent evolution. Right. Or convergent. Right. Yeah, it's funky because it's not really a nose as much as it is no, like it's a, a, a particles that yeah. are detected by those astatasks. Uh, they can kind of get a rudimentary trail right. and kind of a taste, I think, from it, you know, a little bit. I mean, it's smell more than taste, but it's a funky apparatus to be using to track down anything anyway. And on insects, they're called sensilias. Huh. Or, yeah, sensilias. Sensilias. Yeah. So but, that must yeah. be hair-like in some way. Yeah. Huh. But, it's again, it's attached to their antennae. Right. Uh, we're into mating. Oh, baby. Yeah. Like Max. He woke up. Oh, Max. <laughs> Max, Max. We're way into it. Today's special. <laughs> sex on the beach. <laughs> hey So put your toes in the sand. Sit back and relax. Because it's time... For mating with my Here we go. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen. Ladies. Hoes and bros. <laughs> Just now, like with boys and girls. <laughs> these do not become sexually mature until they're between four and eight years of age. Damn. Yeah. But they can live up to six years. So, Another know, reason actually why not rare. that long right. when you think about how long they can live. Yeah, I think I got that at the very end. Like 30 yeah. to 50 was the estimate. Yeah. I don't even think they know. Yeah. Um, now, they generally mate between the months of May and September, but mostly in July and August. Uh, mating takes place on dry land. Now, the males and females, it's kind of weird, they fight with each other. Mm. Until the male is able to flip her on her back. And I think that's to establish that he is a sturdy stock. Right. And then the male inserts his gonopods into her uh, gonophores, which is the sex organs of crabs. That's hot. Sounds naughty. Yeah. (laughs) Gonophores. And then it takes up to 15 minutes to complete the act. Whoa. So, yeah, they're working. Well, I mean, a little bump and grind. Yeah. Now, the female can produce between 50,000 and 150,000 eggs. Damn. Yeah. Um, which she holds. Folds it underneath her abdomen. Thanks to the three hairy uh, claws that Bob had mentioned. Called two. Pleo- two of them. Two hairy claws, I'm sorry. No. Called pleopods. And... They do that. Uh, they hold on to them. Actually, they, in October, November, they're looking for a high tide, usually around the time of a new moon. They sometimes call those legs their uh, lung grooming organs. Yeah. Or lung grooming legs. That's a fun term. <laughs> now, the eggs are deposited into the water after mating. Yeah, the, the female kind of like scrambles yeah. down the, to the shore and, and like hopes really not to drown. Yeah. Then she scrambles back to safety of palms and burrows yeah. and whatnot. Now, the larvae are called zoe. Z O E. Zoe. Huh. No, could figure out why, but it just, that's what they do. Right. Uh, the female tend, all the yeah. females tend to lay the eggs Hold on the, at the same time. Billy Leach probably yeah. came up with that too. Right. Probably. He's not going to tell anybody why. Yeah. I, again, they pretty much lay the eggs all at the same time. So basically, all the females migrate down to the beach about the same time. Right. Probably and moon do the related. Thing. Yeah. 
and then as soon as the eggs touch the water, they hatch. Huh? I did not see that. Well, you wouldn't want to be running around in the rain then. That's the only time they're aquatic, ever. (laughs) Now, they float around for about 28 days, and then after that time, they drop to the ocean floor and acquire discarded shells. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Snails. Snails, things like that. Mm Mm-hmm. And then they will live along the shoreline. And as they grow and molt, they move into larger shells. And again, if they're not get to a point where they're not finding shells, they will use an abandoned coconut shell. Mm -hmm. Now, after about 28 days, their bodies have sufficiently hardened for them to lose the shells, and they become land animals. Yeah. Um, Land crab. (laughs) Land crab. (laughs) Now, Pizza guy. Like, you're not the pizza guy. You're a land crab. People don't realize this, but hermit crabs can produce, or hermit crabs, coconut crabs can produce a sound. Huh? Now, it sounds like tapping, and it's through vib- like, vibrating. <laughs> no. Like actual sound of a coconut. A thin appendages called. That's gonna, or this much is gonna like friend frog. <laughs> Scaphogenathes. Hmm. Um, which draw air into the lungs. When the thin ap- appendages vibrate, they flutter against the hard plates in their gill channels, which produces multiple sounds that vary in frequency and intervals huh? when the vibrating sp- uh, speeds change. Is now, it like a hand buzzer? Like it the allows, oldest prank in the yeah, world? <laughs> it allows crabs to communicate with each other and produce different sounds. Now... While they're breeding, they produce a different sound before, <laughs> after, <laughs> and during. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's what I got on breeding. Yeah. <sighs> it's like they don't tortoises. breed like turtles. <laughs> With a British accent. Well, when you see pictures of them, you'd have to imagine yeah. something weird's going on. There's you, always something weird going on. Two of these things. Uh, they must go face to face, yeah, if he flips her over. Pretty much. Well, it's kind of like a traditional thing. They you know? don't 69. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, it's missionary. That's, that must be where the whole monastery thing comes into Could all be. this. Could <laughs> be. So, what do you got? What, anybody uh, else got anything? Yeah. I've got a few tidbits, but I've, nothing. I've, I've got a decent amount of stuff. All right. Go uh, for it. So, they don't just use those burrows when they molt. Uh, they line them with coconut fibers yeah. as bedding and seal themselves inside to create, again, a moist environment yeah. that helps them to breathe. Some will hide out in suitable crevices as well. So, is that at like uh, near the high tide level? Probably no. Uh, it's it's got to be, to be moist on an atoll, you can't be very far away from. And the, that's part of why they line their burrow with that coconut fiber to retain some of that moisture because, like we said, with that whole weird lung they have, uh, it, it has to be damp or moist to actually create the, they actually, the breathing process. Yeah, they've actually been found up to a mile inland. Mm. On that. Yeah, they don't. Yeah, yeah, And some of them will live up in trees. So do they care if that moist is <coughs> freshwater or saltwater? No. Actually, they prefer yeah. the freshwater. Right. They have been observed drinking fresh water. Mm-hmm. And then in order to get salt water, um, they've been observed eating other crabs. Mm. Uh, yeah. Like the red crabs on Christmas Island and things like that. Right. They mostly because just need the salt water for the laying of the eggs. and. Yeah, <laughs> that does happen in, wa- in salt water for yeah. uh, 100%. Yeah. But, but, but they can do without it other than that. Yeah, they just need wa- They need water one way or another to keep their uh, lung apparatus. You think they would have evolved to, to be more freshwater oriented than... Well, they could Well, they evolved be. to live on land. And on but, island. But I mean, not and have to be island. attached to seawater. I, I don't know that they necessarily do, except for the whole depo- uh, deposition of eggs or... <laughs> yeah. Is that how you say it? Is it deposition? Depositing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> when you're deposed? <laughs> when they have to go to court? Yeah, right? you lay a bunch like of eggs. Paternity, <laughs> like, I have 80,000 young. <laughs> uh, they're solitary, but usually stay hidden during the day to prevent water loss. On islands with larger populations, they will come out during the day because food competition is higher, yep. and you need to get what you can get while you can get it. Uh, they don't just eat coconuts, which are actually a droop. 
a new word that I mm-hmm. found out. Uh, they will eat fleshy fruits, nuts, seeds, and the pith of fallen trees as well. Hey, do but you know what their favorite food is? Bologna sandwich? <laughs> Crab apples. Mmm, crab apples. Yes. Crab apple. <laughs> uh, they're omnivores and will readily consume hatchling tortoises, carrion, other crabs, and each other. Uh, in a tagging experiment, one was observed killing and eating a Polynesian rat. And in 2016, one climbed a tree to kill and eat a red-footed booby on the Chagos Archipelago. There's video and photos of that. Archipelago. Right. I, I, think Archipelago. It, I think it was staged. Was it? Yeah, because yeah. boobies don't live in trees. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah. It, hey, it happened. You also know what their favorite <laughs> drink is? No. Coconut water. Crabuccinos. Crabuccino. That makes sense. Uh, To eat coconuts, they're able to break them all the way down to a husk nut, which is how you'd normally see a coconut at the store. Uh, They climb a tree, sometimes up to 30 feet, and drop it to crack it open. Uh, How they get down is a different story because most of the time they just fall. Yeah. But they can readily survive falls up to 15 feet, relatively unharmed. Yep. They also can work at them with their claws to get to the flesh, but that can sometimes take days. So that's where, you know, sometimes it's easier to climb the old tree and drop the coconut and hope it cracks open. I don't know if yeah. they repeat the process. Do they do. But I, that, I read that they do. They'll do right. it multiple times until huh. it Did opens. you get into the... Um, it seems uh, like the falling part sucks. The, their pinching force? Uh, I didn't. Oh. Uh, I have a little. I have a little funny tidbit about the Micronesians when it comes to their pinches at the end here, though. So, but yeah, uh, but go they, ahead. They basically, if you've got the same thing, that's hilarious. Um, no, I don't have the same thing. I figured you were gonna nail on that one, but they're um, they're when they pinch, it is they can pinch at seven hundred and forty-two pounds of force. Wow, which is basically enough to break a rib on a human. Damn. Yeah. Um, and they can lift up to 60 pounds. Whew. That's, that's, that's pretty good for a nine pound animal. Yeah. I mean, you know, in general, uh, exoskeletons are stronger than, than what most things have anyway. Like that's why ants can lift. Mm -hmm. What is it? Like 600 times their own body weight or some crap. The Micronesians, when they, if they get pinched by them, they kind of tickle them on the belly Yeah, and they finally let go. Right. They tickle their soft undersides with like a piece of straw or any small item. It works for dungeon S crabs and rock crabs also, red rock crabs. If you tickle them? Yeah. They'll they'll grab onto um, either the trap or a net or anything that's near them and they won't let go. Right. you, You practically have to break them off, literally. And yeah, if you if you just kind of rub on their underside, hmm. sometimes they'll let go. It doesn't work all the time. If you rub my underside, I'll let go. <laughs> hey, oh. uh, <laughs> let's see. Uh, the biggest threat is being delicious. Yeah. And they're rarely found on inhabited islands. Well, we- that that combined with having to be five years old to be sexually mature right you couple those two things together and it's not a pretty picture it's not (laughs) uh they're eaten as a delicacy and are considered to be an aphrodisiac by some actually many cultures Mm -hmm. i bet they are delicious uh they can sometimes be toxic especially if they feed on the sea mango those suckers have cardiac cardenolides and that's a steroid that can arrest your heart uh, remember that crazy sodium-potassium ATP pump we talked about during yeah. electric eels? Yep. This steroid inhibits that ability. Yeah. So your cell walls can't even like do their normal functions if, they're, uh, if you get a little bit of this awesome steroid that the crab can produce after eating the sea mango. Sea mangoes are, I didn't even know that was a thing either. So yeah. I had never seen one. I looked at a couple pictures of uh, some plants I had never seen. I, I don't seen think it's very this. common for that to happen because it's sort of and a And that would note. be Cerberus uh, mangus. Yeah, they said that uh, this. there have been people that have gotten a toxic reaction to eating the coconut crab, but it is exceedingly rare. You wouldn't want that reaction, 100%. That's bad. Uh, but would they have known if that was uh, anaphylactic or... I don't know how they would know, you know, if there's a way to tell well, that people you got don't a hold eat of this that particular actual, the steroid. The mangoes for the same reason is that they are toxic. Right. So, and it's just basically somebody had a reaction. Uh, they did a, they found that 
in their system, and the only thing they had done was eaten coconut crab. Right. And it have coconut. You eaten, have you eaten anything weird today? Nah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, the sea mango. Like, <laughs> dang it. Yeah, see my mango. <laughs> so they have no known predators other than themselves and humans. Well, when they're in their larval form. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, they're you know. they're basically like plank, they're, they're planktonic for yeah, an they're, element. They're slurping food. food. Right. Uh, they were listed as vulnerable on the IUCN red list in 1981, but were moved to data deficient in 1996. They were stupid. again classified yeah. as vulnerable in 2018. They're using conservation management strategies in some regions to try to help them out. There are minimum size restrictions in Guam and Vanuatu, a total ban on the capture of egg-bearing females in Guam and the Federated States of Micronesia. In the northern Mariana Islands, hunting of non-egg-bearing adults with a carapace greater than three inches can be performed in September, October, and November under license. The bag limit is five on any given day and 15 total through the entire season. So uh, even if you're lucky enough to get a license, you still have to deal with, uh, I don't know if they have like tagging, they must have a tagging system of some type. I don't know how you like tag them and I don't know how big like game wardens are in these areas. No, I I don't see that. I mean, I see that strategy working as long as it's a a fairly... populated area right. but if you're out in the wild and somebody's hungry yeah they're getting eaten yeah if you end up on a deserted island you know and it's your only way to survive you're going to eat a coconut crab guaranteed back it's going to be a fantastic meal as a matter of fact back in the day when i was managing uh live cargo uh pet store down in uh, la mesa california uh we brought in from guam we brought in a couple hermit cr- or uh, coconut crabs um nastier than hell I mean, they're not nice. We put them in, uh, put each one individual in a uh, standard rabbit cage, uh, and they clip their way out. Mm. Um, and then we were told if we wanted to import more or any of the other, uh, there was a cool uh, um, monitor that we wanted from the area. We must bring in brown snakes from there, which was an introduced. Mm. A snake which was eating all their bird life, and unfortunately, since they were illegal in California, it's like, yeah, sorry. Yeah. So, but they were, um, yeah, they were nasty. Mm. Yeah, that they literally. So not a great pet. No. That rabbit wire doesn't even keep uh, dungeness or red. And I'm I'm out. talking the the mm. heavy square mm. stuff, not the the yeah. It just they just clipped their way through, so we uh, constructed something a little better actually mm. what we did is we d- use wood around it and then uh put some heavy um heavy heavy gauge wire um on top you need just something to keep them stronger out. than a coconut oh that's yeah for sure. because yeah <laughs> uh in tuvalu they luckily live on the motu their word for islets and in the Funafuti Conservation Area that covers almost 13 square miles of Reef Lagoon and Motu on the western side of the Funafuti Atoll. Scientists believe these things can live 30 to 50 years. Mark said 60. I think it's entirely possible. I don't think we really know yet. What, what's the oldest proved? I don't know. I never ran into it, but uh, and it was everything I found just said that the the, the common consensus was 30 to 50. But, but can uh, is it longer? Is it shorter? I don't know. But how I got do they arrive at that? I mean, I, I through, guess just captivity. Some sort of layering on the shell or. It's probably something like or that. Or even a I, study I having done it. Well, they, they can tag them. All the time, so. Right. They, they can tag them, too. Mm, yeah. And that's how they, you know, spotted the one that ate the rat and the mm. booby. Mmm, <laughs> rats and boobies. Yummy. <laughs> I love them. Uh, that's all I got, unless anybody has a citrid or... <laughs> There's no citrid coconut crabs, Mark? Jeez. I went to, uh, went to Hawaii when I was 13, and we had to walk down this... Uh, easement that was for all the houses in the area just kind of like a alleyway that went down to the beach and there was all kinds of coconut pieces and leaves and i was totally paranoid that there'd be coconut crab there (laughs) (laughs) i wanted to see one but i was afraid of them at the same time right because they look 
I don't know. Do they have them on the Hawaiian Islands? They would have, people weren't there, probably. Well, true. <laughs> no, I don't so. think they ever were naturally there. <clears throat> I don't know. Um, I don't know that. I don't know how he would know that other than ancient Hawaiian history. Yeah. <clears throat> Seems like it'd be a because good the original people would have eaten all of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I would think that if somebody out there is industrious and smart, they're probably like got some kind of a captive program for these guys. You know, if you're ever going to establish some type of a meat no, market, they don't, work, they don't work that way. Really? Again, it's got to do with you need the ocean. They'd have to get females. It's just like, and, and it's just like hermit crabs, the ones that they keep as pets. You need the ocean because they're terrestrial also. Mm -hmm. And you need the ocean for them to... Uh, My cousin had hermit crabs in Arizona, Mark. We don't have oceans yeah, there. He bought them at Jeez. the pet store. Right. I, I, they, have to, they have to capture... For reproduction. <laughs> they have to capture the females that already have eggs. Right. And they do that in um, one program where they were trying to make more of them for conservation. Hmm. But that, that's as close as they've come to actually farming them. Right. And I don't think it's very successful. Yeah. I imagine there's probably <laughs> several captive specimens throughout that part oh, of yeah, the world. Oh, yeah, there are. I mean, right. there are zoological places. But, but that I mean, keep as far as, as kind of aquaculture. Exhibit, yeah. Right. Um, I do have cool one thing. See. On the Mariana Islands. They're called Ayu Ayu. That's A Y U Y U. Owie Owie. And they are associated with Tau Tau Mauna, the being that was before time. Tau Tau Mauna. And it was believed that bef believed that their ancestral spirits come back in the forms of animals, such as coconut crabs. Yeah. So. I think that's pretty common. Yeah. Uh, throughout those uh, parts of the tiny islands where you are totally left Being alone to. Come judge, up with your own culture, right? Judge by hermit mm -hmm. crab. If you're an asshole, yeah. you coconut come crab. back as a coconut crab. Yeah. Right. If you're you nice, pinch people. If you're nice, you come back as a bunny. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm coming back as a coconut crab. Heck yeah, coconut crab. Uh, who wants to put a rating on some delicious cocoa Jones? How about mouthfeel, George? Yeah. It actually, um, this one does have a I, good mouthfeel. I like it. It creamy. Mm -hmm. um, uh, little. Uh, of root beer flavor at the end of it. Yeah, it's I, I just, can... just what you want a porter to be. Also, this is one that you know you could easily uh, crush three plus of these in a session. It's not like it doesn't. It's not very heavy. It's not filling. It doesn't overpower no. you, right? And just the the flavor. It's it's interesting. It's no, not I like could, anything else you really find. Actually, it looks. Like I could go through a pail of this pretty easy. I would have. Uh, I would have probably never put the root beer thing together with it. But now that you say that, I actually can catch a lot right of the uh, secondary flavors or oh, root beer, or a little sort root of beer, sarsaparilla e. Uh, yeah. Right. It's, it's it's good. It's a great great porter. I mean, and in the world of a an. I guess porter slash other because we had yeah. the the toffee chocolate one here that yeah. uh, Colby ended up like loving that stuff. Did you know that the other day because they still have a keg of the toffee chocolate porter, Colby went over to the Gig Harbor tap room just to get a couple pints of it because he loves really? it so much. I think he said he's only he's down to like uh, two four packs and then he's gonna freak out. So. I didn't think he was that dedicated <laughs> to anything dark. I well, didn't up until that one. Up that until is this the one. one. Yeah, this one that is his like it, absolute favorite. He's converted. Yeah. So I know my wife's got some stashed in the back of the refrigerator. Yeah. Waiting for next this fall. In the back of the closet. No. <laughs> but, I, yeah. I, I got no problem. I'll drop a nine point two five on this bad boy. You know what? It's, As a porter, and for what it is, yeah, I'm gonna go with. It. I mean, I will say that Black Raven consistently. Because that winter warmer we yeah. had that you were hesitant on because right. it was a winter warmer, you were. And the funny thing for Black Raven also is at 5.6 ABV, this is probably one of the lower ABV yeah. beers that they do. Yes, These guys are pretty consistently like over seven quite often. Yeah. So a uh, great brewery to visit in the Seattle area as well. So Definitely. Yeah, I'd, I'd recommend I'd give it. it a nine. Yeah. Hey, That's Max, what do you think? At. Max is like, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, it was fine. I don't know. I, I like a bigger body. Yeah. On my dark. Yeah, ears. you do. That like your dating preference? You're a big, <laughs> big bodied beer yeah. man. Uh, exactly. Yeah. You might as well. Uh, I like big. I, I know you like. A little deeper. I know, I know you like these chips. Thin. 
the chips are. I mean, come on. How, how do down. you describe them, Max? You you were kind of calling them like a like almost like a everything yeah, bagel, everything. you know? Yeah, right. Yeah, right. It's a little salt and vinegar, salt a little and barbecue, vinegar, barbecue, like heaven a, made chips. No. Yeah. yeah, they remind me a lot of the voodoo without the spice. And those voodoo was a really hard thing to put your finger on too, because it had a little bit of like orange and fruity citrus stuff going on. Right. This doesn't have quite as much of that, but there's still a little bit of that in there yep. as well. It's like a weird version cross between like the Hawaiian barbecue and something totally different. But, but not so, spicy. No, they're not spicy yeah, at I all. Know, I was trying to think of a, which one it was, and it was that voodoo one. But yeah, that's like that without the heat. Right. So yeah. let's give yeah. it a number. That's a hard one for me. I'd, seven and a half. No. Uh, it's not my favorite, but uh, it's. I'm gonna give it an eight two five. I wouldn't put it on the low end of any scale. For I'm going sure, eight two five. Eight, I just don't know if it's something eight, that I'd buy all the time. Yeah. Eight, Max. Did you give a number? It's a ten. Oh, oh snap, Max. He's dropping a ten on him. The Sasquatch. Actually, yeah, this one goes to eleven. The Sasquatch <laughs> surprise. That's right. <laughs> no, Max. They're good. They are good. All right. So I, I believe we're done, boys. We are. Cool. We got through everything we needed to do. Wow. I love it. Let's toast to crabs. Yeah. May we, we not can, get them on our coconuts. May we import one and eat one I'd as like a delicacy. Get, I'd like to get some crabs. <laughs> <laughs> on your coconuts? Yeah. No, thank you, George. Yeah, if you had one nine-pound crab on your coconut, good Lord. <laughs> I, I think you just beat that thing off with a bat. Hey-o. All right, peace out, folks. <laughs> All right. <laughs> now let me get this straight. What 